This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So our primary mission here on Money Talks every Tuesday morning is to answer your personal finance questions. But to fill in the time between the calls, we often come up with topics that we think might interest you. So today we're looking for your questions, but also talking about some of the more common financial acronyms. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So as always, let's start out with a discussion of what's going on financially in the news. Uh, Nancy, we'll give you first crack at it. What's uh, caught your eye this week? Well, good morning. First of all, my eye has been caught by everything blooming. And so in spring, we're all feeling much better uh, despite all the storms we've experienced. And one of the things that has hit me as far as financial news is our consumer confidence levels. And we actually measure these. And for about the last year, we've been a little bit gloomy, below 80. And now we're at 104.2. So everyone is starting to feel better. And why is that important? It's because consumers drive the economy. That's the main part of the spending that goes into our economy. So when we as consumers are feeling better and brighter, our uh, pockets are opening up, we're moving around the country, and uh, that will then translate into good financial news. So, Nancy, what was causing everyone to be so gloom and doom about spending? Because people were spending a lot last year, but why weren't they? they They just didn't feel good about it? I guess that's what it was. I think they were just watching the news too much. And, of course, it's the nature of the news (laughs) to report bad stuff. And and we've had a series of bad things. We've Mm -hmm. talked about some of those on this show. But um, it, it seems that with things warming up, maybe we're ignoring some of that and getting out the house a little bit more. Um, But it is showing up. We're getting outside. We're uh, smelling the pollen and maybe and we're getting more excited about spending on things like Benadryl and (laughs) and Tylenol. And we're really pumped about that. And you are from from conversations that we've had with so many people and and folks calling it the show as well. People have been concerned about inflation. And so while we've been spending more, we it's partly been we're at the grocery store saying, why is why did this basket come out to be a hundred? It was 75 two weeks ago. So I think that's maybe plays into that consumer sentiment, but maybe we're just getting used to these prices and deciding we got to keep moving on with our lives. Uh, and one thing with all of the bad storms that we've had come through Mississippi, I just read this morning that the IRS has ruled that they're giving um, anybody who is living in those disaster declared areas until July 31st to get their taxes filed. So that's oh, wow. uh, some good news. 
And, and similar to that, I know there are uh, f- some FEMA benefits. I know I he- heard on the radio p- people being encouraged to apply for FEMA benefits. There are FEMA benefits for even for family burials, which I know is, is you know unfortunately going to be the reality yeah. for a number yeah. of families uh, in Rolling Fork and, and other places. Um, and yes, there are also other tax benefits for disaster areas, and there are disaster kind of uh, weather disaster savings accounts. There's kind of there's some other quirks little benefits there so it may make sense for for folks to explore some of those things and and of course being prepared for those things with some emergency savings is always important and we still have april 15th as a tax filing deadline for those of for us, us normal people on. yeah um so do check with your cpa or tax preparer to see if you will qualify or check to see if you're in one of those mm-hmm. fema declared areas that does get some relief on that filing deadline so hopping back to the consumer confidence here for just a minute, how do you measure consumer confidence? What sort of questions or survey things oh do they do? Oh, gosh. It is a survey, but I don't know exactly what the questions are on that survey. I'm is it just, hey, are you spending money and how are you feeling about it? <laughs> if they call Kevin, you know, they need to ask him about shoes. <laughs> well, you know, when they when – they, do surveys for the unemployment rate, they actually call households and say, are you know, are you working? Are you looking for work? Is there somebody in your house who's working? So it's some things like that. And it, you know, it seems like a strange thing for people in finance and economics, and we love our hard numbers, but this is a very fuzzy thing. But it's important because the psychology, our psychology adds so much to the economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we aren't feeling good, we're going to be pulling in. And, you know, that's where the news just leads to this cycle of gloom and doom. And when we can break out of that, it's really surprising how quickly we move back. But I wonder, because a lot of those surveys, it's, you know, right from a scale of one to 10 or whatever, and that's that sort of thing. So I'm just curious and maybe asking about... How about you, Kevin? How are you feeling today on a scale of one to 10? Financially speaking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's start with that. Um, He's going to feel better after this show. I'd say, I don't know, eight, nine. I, you know, I oh, that's good. That's a, good. Uh, now, overall, how are you feeling? Solid seven. I'll, I'll just put it there. <laughs> oh, golly. we got to get him moved up the scale. I did get a good uh, credit karma helps me track my um, credit score, which is still, I believe, in the 800s. So that's certainly good oh, that's news. that's good. Yes. And, uh, Keep plugging away at my uh, my emergency savings fund and my car savings fund. So, always good to see the statement come in and see that continue to build. So, well, you know, Ryder gets very offended if anyone shows up with a credit score higher than his. <laughs> I have no clue what my credit score like. This ever since proud. the last time I needed it was years ago when I bought a house, and I have no clue ever since. So. But uh, seriously speaking, I would say uh, I think I've shared this on the air a couple of times that I've had a rough journey with credit and that sort of thing. And I've had several setbacks where I was in the hole. But uh, last couple of years ago, was able to climb out and have maintained that sense. And I'll say certainly for your well-being, financially speaking, and in general, when you're able to unload all of that debt and still avoid accumulating large amounts of it, that certainly does wonders for both your overall attitude and certainly your financial uh, situation as well. And increases your consumer confidence. That's that's right. I, yes. I, I, seriously, because I'm more confident about spending money on things than maybe I would have been in the past. So, which my new thing is something very expensive, Legos. 
It's amazing ah, to me. Are All they the, expensive now? The adult things, the, you know, there's actually a special section in the Lego uh, website called Adults Are Welcome To or something like that. <laughs> and they're cool things, but they're like $800. Well, considering wow. how, how much of a choking hazard Legos are, I think maybe <laughs> they should all be <laughs> for adults. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the stuff, I mean, $100 is cheap for a Lego thing. And uh, wow. I actually read online, it's... I'm going to go get my big old box of bricks from mom's house and sell them one by <laughs> one on eBay. All right. Back to the financial news in the news. Ryder, what, uh, what caught your eye this week? Yeah, so just one thing. I know we mentioned the tax filing deadline, of course, has been extended for people affected in the areas affected by uh, the storms. But for folks who are not affected, the regular deadline is actually going to be April 18th. That's because the 15th falls on a Friday. I feel like it, lately it has fallen on a Friday, Saturday or Sunday or Monday a lot. So they've they've pushed it off an extra day. They They, they don't. It's that's the one nice thing the IRS does for us is is make sure we don't have a, like a, a weird weekend deadline on anything like that. But it is the uh, last week was the end of the quarter. Yesterday was the first day of the new quarter. So we kind of like to look at what the markets did, kind of what's been happening. We don't like to look at it. We don't like to remind people what's going on every day because any given day is just it's just the, 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 the doom and gloom of the news, like Nancy mentioned. But this quarter, uh, Nancy's going to be so pleased with this. Uh, the growth index, so the NASDAQ 100 index was up almost 20%. So this is large, a lot of uh, tech companies. So Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, a lot of consumer discretionary stuff. So uh, so again, that goes well with what you said about consumer confidence. If people are confident in their spending, they're also probably going to be spending on more than just their necessities. So you're not going to find uh, banks, financials, you're not going to find a lot of just kind of your Walmarts and Kroger's of the world, but you're going to find um, other, uh, lots of online retailers, lots of retailers uh, that, uh, that like like I said, consumer discretionary, not your everyday expenses. And then the flip side of that is the Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average, often viewed more as a bit of a value uh play a lot of uh, more kind of long held uh, blue chip companies it was only up 1% uh, the S&P 500 my preferred index for seeing how the stock market is doing was kind of in in between there at 7% International was still very strong. Again, international stocks did very well last quarter of last year. Also did very well this quarter, 9% on those. Uh, and even bonds. So every, everything was green across the board. The sort of things that I looked at, your standard stock and bond indexes. Uh, bonds getting a little bit higher yields uh, are starting to pay off. And then, of course, the, the slight pullback in interest rates helped bonds across the board. So I believe the Barclays Ag was was up to, somewhere between two and three percent, so we're getting a couple of dollars out of that as well. So that's that's good for uh, good for investors across the board. That was kind of nice. So one quarter of the twenty twenty three is already gone. That's that's uh, right. Check that's that box. Flying by. Tear that tear that paper chain link now. And I will say to defend the Lego company, some of their stuff like you can do a typewriter that actually works, and the, one of the newest ones is one of the old Atari gaming systems that again somehow. 
works so who, who i don't i just prefer the old bricks you could make anything with just those you know two by two and two by six bricks i you know, what i feel like a typewriter is gonna have so many specialized parts that you can't use well you can't make a castle well, and throw a rock at it you know one thing yeah, i have you, go ahead nancy you, you can find a typewriter in a flea market i think for it? less than for less than eight hundred dollars build yeah. it but you can thing, take it apart there are standard Pieces. This is, I think, one reason why they say it's so expensive. They're, they don't make. <clears throat> there are certain pieces, so it's like the, the the brick that is in this one could also be in that one. So, in other words, they have a set inventory of of pieces which the Lego company then uses to make all these different things. Oh, that's good. Okay. And you now have a blueprint, a, a book that has step by step instructions that sometimes with my old eyes I don't really follow correctly and then you get along halfway through and something doesn't fit together and you yell and scream oh, and no, pull it all apart. Oh no, the blue pieces backwards. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> so this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past episodes. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. Uh, in between your calls, we're going to talk about some financial acronyms. But first, though, we do have a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Kat, who has called in from Mobile. Kat, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, y'all. Morning. Well, um, my, my question is in relation to um, contract work versus being a W-2 employee. Um, I'm looking to supplement my income, and I'm considering um, doing contract work. But I was wondering, what are the tax benefits? from being um, a contract worker. Does, and does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So uh, contract so contract work is where you are just kind of paid a check for your work for what may be a project-based, maybe it is somewhat hourly-based uh, from, from a worker, but you're not really considered an employee. Employees get a W-2. The W-2 takes care of tax withholding. There could be other benefits, for instance, uh, 401k or uh, health insurance through being a W-2 employee. But a contract worker uh, is generally responsible for doing all of those on their own. One of the main tax benefits uh there's so there's two big ones i want to point out is one you can deduct you can generally deduct some expenses that a normal worker might not be able to do. if i buy some pens for work for instance i can't deduct that I'm, i would hope that my employer you know buys pens office supplies computers and everything i need but if you're a contract worker then you're responsible for those expenses and very often you can deduct those always speak with a cpa or a tax professional about that but when you're a contract worker that makes it very important that you keep up with your expenses that are work related uh you keep up with mileage that is work related if your uh, job requires you to drive or something like that there and again, speak with a CPA about what specifically can be deducted and what sort of things you might want to be keeping track of. The other benefit, I would say, that's maybe a benefit, maybe not, uh, is that you have you are able to do a SEP IRA, which is just one of the more simple and generous 
amounts that you can put away in a retirement savings account, as it is may or may not be a benefit just because the amount of income you earn is going to uh, be a, the, the factor into how much you can put in. Uh, but if you're doing a fairly good amount of contract work and you don't have a lot of other deductions, this is going to be what gives you uh, your best deduction. And it could ultimately be even more generous than what some people may have in their workplace plan, uh, just depending on what their plan is, if they have one or not. But it, it's it's the possibility for a much more generous uh, retirement savings plan. Anything else you would add, Nancy? Yeah, the downside of being a contract person, it's like your own business that you're running here. And so that means you need to keep track of everything, just like Ryder said, with your expenses. But the biggest downside is when you work for somebody else, they're going to take out the tax and then match the tax for FICA, for Social Security and Medicare. You're going to be responsible to do that yourself. And so mm. once you do all of your books and you get to the end of the year and you show hopefully a positive net income on the bottom line there, then you're going to basically have to pay both sides of that yourself as part of your tax filing. So check with your CPA about what you need to keep track of and how that is going to function, but there will be extra filings that you'll have to do as a contract person. Mm. Okay, well, thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, Kat, thank you for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Uh, next up, we've got a call coming from one of my favorite places to go, Pensacola, Florida. David is on the line. Good morning, David. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I just want to give a shout-out to Nancy and Ryder. Uh, me and my wife, Claire, have been using their services for over six years now. We couldn't be more pleased. They do such a great wow. job. And just wanted to say hello this morning from Pensacola. Thanks for tuning in, David. Well, and I have to say that um, his wife is one of the uh, Uber hosts. I don't know if I should say Uber. She's one of the, the top hosts it's not, on Airbnb. Yeah. U- Uber is a different thing. <laughs> yeah, it's super. Right. It's super so host. <laughs> She's a super host. So, David, yeah. uh, do you live down there or are you all just visiting? Uh, we're natives of the area, and uh, my wife has a small Airbnb, and I'm retired with a little part-time gig. and. uh just discovered Nancy and Ryder listening to this radio station traveling wow. over to Mississippi, and that's how we uh, found out about them and hooked up with them six years ago, I think, and we have been so pleased with the service they provide. They did not ask me to make this call. <laughs> oh, you're kind. No, yeah. And are you glad that uh, bridge is finally opened? Yes, yes, that's that's been a real blessing, and uh, the Airbnb business is picking up, and my wife's getting a new hip next month, so that's about all the news from Pensacola. <laughs> oh, good. All right, uh, David, thanks for calling in, and thanks for the kind words about the show and about Ryder and Nancy. We certainly appreciate having them on the air with us each week, and uh, Nancy, you've been doing this for, gosh, f- more than 15 years, I think? Um, yeah, I think this is the 15th year, yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate uh, both of what uh, what you both bring to the show each and every week. I know if I were the financial expert, we would have a lot of Mississippians in dire financial straits. So uh, glad that you're here to help uh, folks out. So we're going to talk about some financial acronyms. Uh, I had a big list, so some of these might be more common than others. So we can skip through some of the more ex- uh, exotic ones and, and focus on the other ones. But Nancy, let's start out hopefully with an easy one. APR, what does that mean? APR stands for Annual Percentage Rate. 
So when you are shopping for a lender and you're trying to compare lenders, that's the number you want to look at. Now, for a lot of loans, it, there may not be much difference between what they advertise and that APR, but there usually is a big difference when you're looking at mortgages. The APR includes all the fees that you're going to incur that get wrapped into the loan. So, for instance, you may be only borrowing 100000 but you may end up borrowing somewhere around 106000 when you add in all of those fees, and that's how the APR is then calculated. Um, bankrate.com is a great website. I think we've mentioned it before on the program. You can go to that site. You can compare lenders. You plug in the type of loan you're looking for, where you live, and you will get a list of them. And again, you're going to look for that APR to find the one with the best rate. And that best rate that's quoted there is based on the top credit rating. So, Kevin, you would get that best rate. But if your credit ratings are a little bit lower, expect that number to be a little bit lower when you go through the process. To keep us busy between your phone calls, we're talking about some financial acronyms that you might be familiar with. Some of them are more familiar than others. Ryder, let's uh, have you a crack at one. I think a lot of people have heard FDIC, but what is it and what is their function? Yes, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So that is what's keeping your money in the bank safe, or they're really the, the backstop, the insurance for if the bank fails. And I know it's not something we want to really be talking about, but it has happened a couple of times in a big way this year. We've talked about that a lot. They are what who steps in when the bank fails and says, okay, we are insuring your deposits up to they do a quarter million. That's actually pretty generous because they have a lot of ways of interpreting what counts as a separate account. And so you, generally speaking, you will see all banks will say FDIC insured. That's what that means. That is a federal uh, federal program that is backing them up. And they're also in charge of operating the bank uh, once it fails. Like I said, they have a goal of reopening banks uh, within one to two business days after failure open business as usual. Um, did they come about as a result of the Great Depression? Do we... I believe that is so because uh, in the Great Depression, banks were failing and so people were worried. And so they started taking all of their money out of the banks, which, of course, just caused them to fail faster. It's a bank run. And so the idea was if you give people confidence that even if the bank fails, their money will be there, maybe they won't be in such a hurry to withdraw their money. I believe that was part of the Glass-Steagall Act in 1933. Yes, that's correct. All right. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Good morning. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. You can email money at mpbonline.org to fill time between your calls. We're talking about some financial acronyms that uh, are com- some common, some little less than common, and we're going through those and defining those. So, Nancy, next on the list is AIR. Uh, that's an assumed interest rate. Um, you know, I don't see that often, Kevin, uh, so I, I don't really have any input. Uh, uh, Ryder, do you have anything there on AIR? No. I don't know that that's going to be too applicable to uh, folks borrowing. Uh, there are possibly if there are some contingencies in a loan where your rate might change, uh, you might refer to that as an assumed interest rate. But And, you know, many years ago, we did a lot of loan assumptions when you 
purchase a house, you could assume a loan because you wanted that lower mortgage rate. But that's when prices were much lower and down payments were much lower. It's a lot harder to assume loans these days. All right. Uh, so, Nancy, you, you, you'd have got to pass on that one. And again, I'll admit okay, that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I went through the you list not knowing heart. which ones were, were more common than others. So we'll give you another one. The ARM, that's a little more common. That is very common. Adjustable rate mortgage. Oh, you can and just call that an arm. An arm, yeah. Yeah. So uh, for a long period of time, we were telling everybody, don't do arms. Don't do adjustable rate mortgages because we had very low fixed rates. Uh, we had a little bit of a contest in the office when we get phone calls from clients telling us what low rate they locked into, some below three over the last decade. Um, those have gone away. And so we have seen a period of spiking interest rates. And so we've seen the rise of adjustable rate mortgages. Now, what you're going to find with adjustable rate mortgages right now is um, you know, they may be pretty close to what the existing uh, mortgage rate on a fixed rate is offering, but you may have some ability for it to be lowered in the future. So look at the fine print. Sometimes they adjust every year. Sometimes they adjust after five years or seven years. Each of those contracts will be different. Look at how long that rate is fixed, how often it adjusts how it is adjusted, mm-hmm. what they use to adjust it, because what a lot of people are doing right now is they're purchasing homes with the idea, okay, I've got a pretty high mortgage rate right now, but I'm going to refinance in the future. So adjustable rate mortgage is basically doing that for you by hopefully seeing those rates go in the opposite direction when they come down. All right. Um, we are on Money Talks this morning, talking about financial acronyms while we look for your personal finance questions. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Ryder, the next one on the list is a familiar one uh, that we've talked about on the show. Remind us, though, what a HELOC is, H-E-L-O-C. A HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So we were just talking about the uh, some some other mortgage terms. A uh, HELOC is kind of on top of a mortgage, typically, or maybe if you don't have a mortgage at all, you can get a line of credit from a bank, and it is secured by your home. So it is generally considered just a second lien mortgage if you already have a uh, First lien mortgage. Uh, those are those can be fixed rate. Those can be fixed fee. Those can be floating rate or adjustable rate. Uh, all sorts of different rules there. Uh, they're a lot more custom to the bank and to the borrower. But sometimes a good way to just get secure access to money, even if you're not using it immediately. Maybe say, oh, I know I'm going to have some some needs in the coming years, so I'll go ahead and secure a line of credit from my bank to help fund those. And um, there's a difference between a home equity line of credit and just a basic home equity loan. So if you have a line of credit, mm-hmm. you're going to have a limit that the banker has given you. Okay, I'll I'll give you up to seventy five thousand, right. and you draw on that as you need it, and you're only charged interest for what you have borrowed. Uh, against that line of credit. With a home equity line, it's, okay, here's the 100000 all up front, and you're going to be making payments back to me, so that full loan is coming at you all at once. So figure out which is uh, what you need in your particular situation. Um, I got a HELOC a couple of years ago, I think it is. Is there usually a time limit to it? So in other words, if I don't use it in X amount of time, I would have to pretty much apply for another one. Am I, am I correct? Yes. 
And and again, so that's another one of those terms of the HELOC that, again, it's going to be custom to what you have arranged with the bank. But they typically, because they'll either maybe establish a fee or because it's based on not only your home equity, but maybe also your credit uh, credit score yourself. We were just talking about those. But because it's based on factors like that, they, they do want to revisit that from time to time and see, oh, should we offer Kevin more money? Should we offer him less money? Should we raise the rate, lower the rate? Uh, or, of course, it could also just depend on what they're offering at that time. Right. And interest on a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit, like mortgage interest, is also tax deductible, which may be important to you if you do itemize. Yes. The, the Check with your CPA with the details because I believe a change with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018, was it? Uh, there are some requirements, some record-keeping requirements for what sort of expenses you use it for would be tax-deductible. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. Got some financial acronyms to talk about uh, as a way to fill time between your calls. Since it's tax season, let's uh, define a few related uh, tax-related acronyms. And I think, um, Nancy, we're back to you. A-G-I. That's adjusted gross income, and that's a line on your 1040 form, and um, that adjusted gross income for it, it is what is used in a lot of situations to figure out, uh, for instance, if you qualify for various federal programs, what your Medicare premiums will be, all of those things. Also, uh, when you file electronically, uh, I think your AGI becomes part of your signature or something. I know I have to, every mm-hmm. time I do my taxes each year, I have to grab the, the return from the previous year to, to get my AGI to, as, as a sign-in thing. So that's an interesting side note. All right, uh, Ryder, another tax-related one, CGT. I, I don't think anybody uses this, Kevin. Did you get, did you get this from, from, from a tax <laughs> nerd? This is capital gains tax. I, we just call it capital gains tax. Uh, capital gains tax is the rate or the amount that you are paying on capital gains. So you buy an asset, it increases in value, uh, you sell it. You are only taxed on the gain in between your purchase and your sale. And that rate that you're taxed at is typically, if you hold it for more than a year, you have a long-term capital capital gain, a LTCG, I guess. And uh, so when you have that LTCG, you have a lower tax rate than your income tax rate, your ITR. Uh, I'm making these up as we do, do not do not approach your CPA and ask them what your what your ITR is this year. They're going to they're going to they're going to kick you out. They, they don't have time for this right now. Uh, so that's just it, it's at a lower tax rate. So that's why we talk about capital gains is a favorable tax rate because it is always going to be a. Uh, uh, as a long-term capital gains, always going to be lower than your income tax rate. Short-term capital gains uh, for the sale of uh, assets or securities that have, you've only held for less than a year, then that is going to typically be taxed at your income tax rate. But again, only the gain, not that whole sale value. And this all relates to tax policy, and we watch this very closely. We don't really have an impact on what they decide in Congress, but, you know, it has a huge impact on how we manage portfolios. Um, but as Ryan mentioned, the capital gains rate is lower than your income tax rate. There is some talk about changing that. Also, dividends uh, are taxed at that 
same lower rate. And so we have said in our policy that investment income is being preferred over earned income. And so if you live off of investment income, your tax rate is going to be lower than if you live off of earned income. Right now we're talking about some uh, tax-related acronyms. Uh, The next on the list is the CTC, uh, Nancy, the Child Tax Credit. What's that all about? The the Child Tax Credit, and honestly, I cannot tell you what the exact number is, Kevin, uh, but this is a huge advantage for families that can um, have some credits for children in the family, and this is, again, part of policy that we want to give some relief to families raising children. Uh, Ryder, what's the EIC, Earned Income Credit? Uh, so I actually often see this as the EITC, Earned Income Tax Credit. And so this is for, this is, as it says, you need to have earned income. You need to be a lower income uh, person, individual taxpayer, but have some earned income. And essentially the federal government will credit you a little bit more money uh, if you are a lower income earner. So this is, and this is talked about a lot in policy. It's it's very good for those who are working, who are trying to work and earn money. Uh, but of course, it can be very hard to get the hours, to get the wages that you actually need to live your life, raise your family, <laughs> buy how live, etc. And so that's what this tax credit does. It just it supplements that income. This is what you see. Interestingly, a lot of times when you see these kind of fly by night tax preparation offices, they just show up once a year and they have the the Statue of Liberty waving the sign. A lot of that is is folks getting earned income tax credit because they might just have one tax filing they can get that in there get it get it done really quick they do pay for that service of course but they often get a fairly substantial amount back and that is based on your income and your household size so that is pretty good but one of the the policy criticisms of this a lot of times is that this allows uh, larger employers larger corporations to continue paying lower wages because they know that that person's low wage is going to get subsidized around tax time so um uh, really great for the people who do receive it. Absolutely important to their their livelihood. But also, is it allowing uh, companies to to kind of skate by on that? All right, uh, two more for tax related uh, terms uh, before our next break, Nancy. Another one people have heard of but might not know what it is or what it at least stands. This for. has already come up in the show yes! minutes ago, Kevin. FICA. <laughs> FICA. Uh, FICA, which is short for Federal Insurance Contributions Act. And, you know, we do this weird thing where we say we're going to call this tax one thing and we're going to call this tax another thing. So we have federal income tax and we have state income tax. But FICA is just another federal tax. Now, it is designed to support two programs, Social Security and Medicare. So even if your income is at a level that you pay no federal income tax, that employer still is required to take out FICA tax. It's going to be 7.65% of your paycheck, and then your employer is going to match that with another 7.65%. So over 14% of your earnings are going to be going into this program to support what you hope one day, what I hope one day, I will get Medicare and Social Security that will come back to you. But that's what that is designed for. And, and a lot of times folks call that payroll tax. It, it is what is always going to be taken out of your... Mm-hmm. is a tax, is a tax. That's right, that's right. All right, so Ryder, let's wrap up this segment with an HSA. 
That is a health savings account. And two things people might have in their employee benefits are a HSA and an FSA, a health savings account or a flexible spending account. Uh, by most accounts, an HSA is uh, superior. You put money in. Your, your employee may, as a benefit, put some money in here. You get a tax deduction for putting money in. The money grows tax-free. And if you spend it, you often get checks or a debit card uh, with your HSA. You can spend it on medical expenses. So a lot of times people <laughs> use that to pay for their medicines. People can use that to pay for uh, before you hit your deductible for your doctor's visits. Uh, or you can just save that and let it grow for for the future when you know you might have higher medical expenses. Now, this is only available if you have an insurance, uh, health insurance policy that is considered a high deductible health insurance policy. There are a couple of rules on how high that deductible needs to be. It's actually not, it's actually not crazy high. So you can have decent coverage uh, and still get an HSA, but it is dependent on the details of your insurance plan. The other one, not on the list, but similar people may see is an FSA. The flexible spending account. This is the most inflexible spending account I've ever heard of because you must spend the money before the year runs out or you lose it. And that includes money that you've put in. It's just the worst deal ever. I don't know. It's it's useful if you have very clear known expenses that you can save for. It is slightly more flexible than the health savings account in some of the things that you can pay for. Uh, but again, the, you really need to know that you have stuff to spend on. I have once, uh, it's always kind of funny working with people who have an FSA and maybe their employer puts in a couple hundred dollars and they just don't need it. And then kind of at the end of the year, they're just looking on walgreens.com saying like, how much Tylenol can I buy? Like, what do I, like, what can I spend this? Like, what is FSA eligible that I can get this money out of this account? So it's a, it's a little weird, but the HSA Great. People like to call it triple tax exempt because tax uh, tax deduction for putting money in grows tax free, withdraws tax free if spent on medical expenses. And we have one of those similar to the FSA, uh, but uh, recently they uh, expanded from a year through three months into the next year, which I thought was very nice. Oh, wow. That is so <laughs> flexible, really living into their name there. <laughs> this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Got some calls to get to here. As promised, we will go to Sally, who's called in from Long Beach. Sally, you're on the air with us. Good morning. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. <clears throat> My husband and I um, did a uh, special needs trust for our son. He is a, uh, he's in college right now. And I kind of wonder if we wasted the money on that because cognitively there's nothing wrong with him. He has just mobility issues. Uh, so, and currently he gets SSI. So was, should we have done a special needs trust? I, I would say probably so, um, and you need to really consult with an attorney. We've had Rick Courtney on the show several mm -hmm. times. He would be very helpful because he does have a special needs daughter. And um, the, what you indicate is in order for him to have SSI, then that limits what he can have outside of that. And a special needs trust allows for some assets to be placed there for him to use that will not affect that qualification. So probably, yes, 
And even if he's not using it appropriately now, you know, okay, well, um, he may need it later on as he ages and still may need to be able to qualify for these various programs. But consult with an attorney and Rick Courtney with his uh, experience, his own family, I think would be very helpful to you. I would also say for other families in the same situation, considering doing a special needs trust, and this is something that Rick Courtney really pushed for and got in Mississippi and is a big fan of. We've had him on to talk about this ages ago, but the ABLE accounts, and I, I, that's an acronym. I, I, uh, if we could look that one up real quick, but an ABLE account is kind of similar to a special needs trust. It allows some money to be set aside for someone who is uh, receiving federal benefits like SSI or uh, Medicaid benefits. I don't know all of the details there, but I think it allows for up to $100,000. So for a lot of people, that might cover some of those needs that a special needs trust was previously able to address. Of course, for larger, more complex needs or just more needs, a special needs trust is is more appropriate. In your situation, I, I, I don't know all the details of that exact situation, but those are, that is the ABLE account is another option for folks who are in that situation. Thank you very much. And uh, Sally, if you're a regular listener, Rick Courtney will be our guest later this month, I believe the last Tuesday in April. But again, uh, we're going to be talking about estate planning, but as Nancy mentioned, he's also uh, knowledgeable about uh, special needs, uh, as as she mentioned, has a special needs daughter. So uh, Rick's a great guy, and we look forward to having him on the air uh, later in the month. Uh, let's okay, move on. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Sally, for your call. One final call to get to. We say good morning to Mike and Tupelo. Mike, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Good program today. Thank you. Uh, question is about a place to park some uh, funds from a long-term capital gain. Um, this would be non-IRA money. And whether it's I-bonds or CDs, what's offering the best interest rates these days for money that can be parked for a little while but might need to be accessed at some point. Sure. Yeah. So if you're if you're parking money kind of shorter term, you haven't quite decided what to do with it, but you're going to spend it maybe within the next year, couple of years. Uh, there's a couple of good options. So sh- short term treasuries. You mentioned it's a capital gain. So you prob- it sounds like you may have a brokerage account that that's in. Um, you can probably buy some short term treasuries. Uh, there are also a lot of uh, high yielding money markets out there today, be they in brokerage accounts or or at banks, uh, at a brick and mortar or online bank. Those are not a bad way just to collect a little bit of interest. I know I've seen some in the 4 to 5% interest rate uh, recently, so that can be pretty attractive. But again, for anything that you may be spending in the next few years, if you're looking on the fixed income side, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really do long any long-term fixed income because you're not necessarily picking up a lot higher yield, and then you're just running into the risk that it's locked up or maybe a little bit lower in value when you go to redeem it uh, soon, if it's soon, if it's before the, it matures. And then, uh, of course, it's not really appropriate for stocks unless you're going for much longer term growth on that. I don't have the I-bonds yield in front of me right now. Those were tremendously popular last year when uh, inflation rates were super high. Inflation rates are coming down. They have been coming down really since last summer, uh, the year-on-year ones. And so I'm, I'm not sure if those are super attractive right now. And I don't know if they ever got around to raising the fixed rate part of that. Um, 
But that was a bit of a complaint uh, previously because it has a fixed and inflation rate. Uh, the inflation rate was really high, but the fixed rate stayed really low, even though market interest rates were rising at that time. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for those, uh, those words there. All right. Uh, thanks for your call. So we've got about 30 seconds left. Nancy, is there a favorite financial acronym that you can think of? Oh, I'm going to say a CFA. And, uh, yes, Ryder and I are both CFAs. We're very proud of that designation. That's a chartered financial analyst, and um, it is a very intense program. We uh, each had to pass three consecutive exams and um, in order to get that and also have uh, five years of experience. And uh, we have a Mississippi Charter Holders Group. And the only group in Mississippi, we just had our CFA forecast dinner. How many people are in there now, uh, Ryder, do you know? Uh, there's 75 or 80 of us uh, in the society. All right. We're going to have to close it there. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial supportive listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. Our call screener today was Liz Gill, and running the board for us was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.